Well, good morning. I wanted to uh, share a Christmas story with you this morning because, uh, according to every retail store in town, uh, it's Christmas time, and we have the snow this morning. So let's uh, let's share a Christmas story uh, with you. There was um, there was a little boy who was treating God like Santa Claus, and started to write a letter to God to to get presents that he wanted for Christmas time. And as he was writing the letters, Dear God, I have been uh, good for six months. And then he kind of shrugged his shoulders and he crossed out six months. And he's like, Dear God, I have been good for three months. As he's writing the letter and then he's like, Oh man, that's not right. Cross that out. Uh, Dear God, I have been good for two weeks. And he wrote that to God, and he still was just kind of frustrated. And he crossed that out, and he gets up, and he goes over to the nativity scene where Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus and all of the, all of the uh, kings are. And he grabs, he grabs uh, the little figure of uh, Mary, and he walks back to his desk, and he starts writing the letter to God. And he says, Dear God, if you ever want to see your mother again... I love that story because it's, it's about, I think, for many, just kind of how they understand or basically don't understand who God is. They don't understand His nature. They don't understand the way that God wants a relationship with us. And what does a living relationship look like with a living God? How do I work that out? We don't understand His grace. And so we try to remind him of how good we've been and look at, for at least a couple of weeks I've been good. We don't understand his holiness and his righteous judgment. And so somehow we think we can hold his mother hostage. We don't understand who he is. We don't understand that God wants to be known and loved by us deeply and profoundly We don't understand his character, and so we struggle with God, and we end up struggling to trust him. And even though we do not fully understand how God is working all things out, he wants us to know that he is a God who is sovereign over all of this. He's sovereign over all the mess of 2020. He's right in the middle of it. He's in control of what's going on. He wants us to understand that his purposes and his leading are right. Not only are they right, they're good. And he wants to draw us to that place. I've been studying Isaiah 55, and I I love this passage in light of where King Ahab is at spiritually as as he's really against the Lord and wandered away from the Lord, wants really nothing to do with him, and how in our own spiritual journey, when we're struggling with God and we've wandered away uh, and maybe we're just wanting to live in our own sin and flesh and and just do what we want to do. And yet God continues to, to pursue us with a radical love, even right in the middle of our rejecting him. Here's what Isaiah 55 says. Listen to this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and their unrighteous thoughts. 
Listen to this beautiful promise. Let them turn to the Lord and He will, He will have mercy on them and to our God for He will freely pardon you. And so God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts more than yours. Even though we may not fully grasp God's ways and what he's doing and his purposes, that we may not understand all that he is about in the middle of all of the mess. This morning I want to ask a question for us. Even in the middle of all this, will you draw near to him? And will you trust him? That he is a God who loves you. That he is a God who pursues you. That he is a God who is sovereign over all. Will you trust him? Let's pray for that this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, we acknowledge that we don't understand your ways and we wrestle with it. We don't know how all these things are going to work out that are going on in 2020 and in our lives. And, and again, we're just struggling. So Father, help us this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to trust you. Help us to lean into you. Help us to know that you are good. And Father, we thank you. We thank you that your ways are not our ways. Amen. Well, as we, as we enter into 1 Kings 21, one of the things that we're going to see with Ahab, and, and I think this plays out with us in our spiritual journey, is that when we don't understand God's ways and when he's doing things that, that are confronting us, when he's doing things that, again, just don't make sense, one of the things that we can do in our journey is say, well, God, I don't understand your ways. Actually, I don't like your ways. I don't like how you're dealing with me. I don't like how you're dealing with this situation. Where are you? Why aren't you speaking into this? And if you are speaking into it, I don't like the way you're speaking to me about it. And so what we end up doing is we end up fighting against God's ways. And that's where we find Ahab this morning, fighting against God's ways that are good and true and dealing with his sin. And so what happens is when he's saying to Naboth, I want your vineyard, and Naboth says no, he goes away, the word is sullen and vexed is actually the, the more appropriate word. I like that word because it's just this just angry, I'm just upset about what God is doing here, how he's dealing with me. This is not what I want. Life is not going how I intended it to go. And so what really happens is you say, I deserve to be angry. I deserve actually to be angry at God. And so we shake our fists. Lord, no, I fight against you. That's really what's going on. Ahab is fighting against God. In chapter 20, Ahab is vexed because the prophet showed up and said, you didn't listen to God's commands. Here's chapter 20, verse 42. The prophet shows up and he says to the king, this is what the Lord says. You have set free a man that I determined should die. Therefore, it is your life for his life, your people for his people. 
And verse 43 says, So Solon and vexed, same words, the king of Israel went to his palace in Samaria. Not only did Ahab keep Ben-Hadad from Syria alive, he ends up developing a business transaction with them, basically a covenant with Ben-Hadad. And when he's supposed to be having a covenant with God, God is faithful to keep his covenant. Ahab is not. And Ahab is trying to live this life where I'm just going to do what I want to do. Now things are not going well. Now God is saying I'm going to be judged for this. I don't want anything to do with that. I'm angry at God. I am vexed. And I deserve to be. When God's ways are not the ways that we think God should act and deal with us, we can fight against God. And we can become demanding Again, he lives in this place of being frustrated, vexed. And as we enter in with Ahab in chapter 21, he's bored, he's discontent, he's in his palace. Things are not going my way. I deserve to be happy in my life. He's like King David, who is, again, bored. He's at his summer palace. He's looking over the wall. And King David looks over the wall. He sees Bathsheba. I want that. So he takes it. And then he decides, well, I'm going to kill her husband so I don't have any issues. And so he kills Bathsheba's husband. Ahab's in the same place. He's looking over his wall, saying, I want this vineyard down there. What happens is, in the middle of our boredom, in the middle of our anger, our discontent, When we start to look for satisfaction, for fulfillment, anywhere other than Jesus Christ, we start to mix together a recipe for sin. It leads us to a place that takes us further and further away from the Lord. I am discontent. In this whole year, I'm discontent. I'm discontent with the coronavirus. I'm discontent with the way things are going, with the elections and what took place. I'm discontent. All my vacations have been canceled. I'm not happy. I demand that I have better life. I deserve to have a little more wine when I come home. I need to be comforted. I deserve to escape and watch, binge watch whatever I want to watch on Netflix I don't even care what the material is. I'm just going to binge watch because I'm sick of it. Heck with you, God, and the way you're dealing with me in this life. It's not fair. It's not the way I want it. And we shake our fist at God. I have the right to click that enter button on that destructive website. In essence, I'm just going to sin. And I don't really care what you think about it, God. Because life is not fair right now. And so I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to be happy because I want to be happy. God, you're not doing things the way that I want them to be. In Ahab's case, his sin is coveting and greed. And it starts to fester in him. This is what the Ten Commandments say about coveting. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. 
what happens is things start to simmer. And then what we come to realize is we're going to sin. And you know what happens when we sin? It satisfies us. It satisfies us. That's why sin's so attractive. Because we like it. It satisfies us. But here's what we know about sin. It satisfies, oh, but for a moment. And then comes all the destruction and the pain that follows when we sin. Ahab and we get to that place where it's like, I am going to sin. I'm going to demand more. Ahab's looking over the wall down at the vineyard and he says, I need and I deserve another vegetable garden. I need more zucchini in my life. Nobody ever needs more zucchini in their life. That's just a truth, a worldwide truth. But I deserve it. I was thinking about us. How are we doing? How have we been doing in the midst of this corona season when when we're dealing with just wanting more? How are you doing with coveting and, and with greed? You know, I praise God. I praise God because I've just been, again, frustrated at home and life's just been hard like with the rest of you. And I praise God because the Costco wholesale holiday uh, booklet came in town. And so I just got this. And I was so happy to get this. And right away, I was showing my wife. I'm like, honey, oh, my goodness. There, look, there's all these TVs. And they're on a they're great sale. And we need another TV. And Kina says, Rod, we, we, we do not need another TV. We have a TV in almost every room. And I said, yes, but not every room. We need more. And she said, no. And so I went away sullen and vexed. I was very angry. You know, the weird thing is, that our downstairs living room TV, somehow it fell off the counter and it broke. And so all of a sudden we need to replace that. I don't know what happened. We just want more. We want more. We want more. We become like Veruca and Willy Wonka. And it's like, I have to have that golden egg from that goose. Daddy, daddy, get me the goose. And then she sits on the scales and has weighed out a rotten egg. We become a rotten egg when we let that sin fester of greed and coveting. Well, what do we do in the middle of all this? How do we live this out? I think as we're wrestling with this, we we can acknowledge before the Lord, Lord, I'm struggling here. I'm struggling. This whole year has just been, ugh. Lord, I'm struggling. I don't understand what you're doing in the middle of all this. My friend Jen reminded me that it's a good time to just go, Lord, search me and know me. Reveal any way in me that's that's sinful, that's contrary to you. Search me and know me. Acknowledge your sin in the middle of it. And then call upon the Lord for forgiveness. Pray for spiritual power to resist temptation. The Lord responds to us right in the middle of our temptation when we just want to sin Say, Lord, I don't want to sin. Help me. Call upon him to help you resist temptation. Put yourself in a good place with friends. Don't stay stay isolated away from people. 
when God's ways are not our ways, when he's dealing with us in a certain way that we don't like, when things aren't making sense, we can either choose to fight against God or we can be like Naboth who learned to trust God. Do you trust him? Look how Naboth trusted God. Naboth really learned the principle of remaining in the vine. Ahab comes to him and says, give me that vineyard, I'll give you a better price, or I'll give you another land. And Naboth responds, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. In the middle of the vineyard, amidst great pressure from the king, Naboth remained in the vine. And I want to encourage you in this season that we're in that we would remain in the vine, in our source, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only way we're going to make it through, really. Listen to John 15. You're familiar with the passage, but I just want this to, just let this refresh you. Jesus speaking to you. I'm the true vine. My father's the gardener. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, guess what? You will bear much fruit. That's spiritual life. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You don't have spiritual life. If you're trying to do it all on your own. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. That's kingdom living. That's God's will be done. Questions of the Lord. Lord, give me for your kingdom purposes. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the vine. Help me to remain in you as I go through this year, as I go through the struggles as I try to understand what you're doing, Naboth, as he's facing that attack, as he's facing that pressure, he remains in the source. And what he does is he bears the fruit of truth. He speaks forth God's truth to King Ahab. And the truth is, hey, King Ahab, this is not my vineyard. It's not mine. Leviticus says the land must not be sold permanently because God says the land is mine. Ahab, you should know this, but you're so distant from God. You're so living in your sin. This is God's land. Ezekiel 46 says the prince, the king, must not take any inheritance from the people. Naboth knew that the land belonged to the Lord. It wasn't his to sell. And so he said to Ahab, no. Naboth chose 
to serve God rather than money, rather than greed. He could have gotten a good price for the land. He could have gotten some better property. No, I'm going to obey the Lord. He was one of the 7,000 that didn't bow down to Baal. I'm going to be obedient to God. You know, Naboth could have been questioning God, like, Lord, I've been faithful to you. Why is King Ahab coming and, and just giving me this hard time? Lord, why didn't you take out Ahab a long time ago? He's evil. He could have been wrestling with God like that. But you know what? He didn't understand fully what was going on. But he kept remaining in the vine. Even in the middle of what would be a strong attack upon him, you know what? He would pay the price for his obedience to God. And evil starts to play out. What does Ahab do? He goes home. He throws a fit like a two-year-old, just screaming and ranting and raving. The white witch Jezebel steps in, and she's like, what's going on? And he starts to just, to again, just say, oh, it's just not fair. I offered, I offered uh, Naboth this great price, or I offered him another. He said, no. Can you believe it? Which was, a, which was not the truth. He didn't say, no, like, this is my land. He said, no, this is the ancestor's land. But he fabricated a story. Jezebel is like, would you put on your big boy pants for once? You've got to take care of it. You're the king. And then she's like, no, you know what? Uh, I'm going to take care of it because you're just not capable. So evil, evil, evil just starts to come. A murderous plot starts to happen. Jezebel writes a letter to the elders of the town. Let's set up a fast. And then she hires these two, with, with the scriptures say, worthless, worthless men who are going to give false testimony. And they're going to say, he spoke against the king and against God, and let's take him out and kill him. And so sure enough, the plot works. He's taken outside the city, and he's stoned to death. And then Jezebel and, and Ahab hear that he's been stoned to death. Well, now let's go and take the land. Go and take your vineyard that you don't need to create another vegetable garden in your greed and your evil and your sin. And so they took the land. Now here's where we wrestle with God, where we go, God's ways are not our ways. You have to go, wait a second, Lord. Wait a second, Lord. Naboth is the good guy. He's the good guy. Why in the world would you let him be killed like that? It's Ahab who you need to kill. He's pure evil, and so is Jezebel. Why in the world, Lord, would you do this? He's the good one. Does this story sound familiar to you? A mock trial, a kangaroo court two false witnesses, the accused not speaking out against his accusers, nobody defending the accused, taken outside the city, murdered. And Jesus says, Lord, they know not what they do. 
Jesus Christ suffers injustice with us. Jesus Christ walks with us in our suffering and in our ache against evil and injustice. I am with you when injustice comes. 1 Peter 4 says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's come upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and they should commit themselves to continue to do good, which is the character of God. Here's the reality. There is a path of suffering and trial for the follower of Jesus. That's just true. We will face injustice. We will face people coming against us. But we need to be like Naboth where we remain in the vine. He is our source of life. It doesn't make sense. God's ways are not our ways. But do you trust him? That he is good. That he is sovereign. That he's walking with you through this. Do you trust him? When we see what just happened to Naboth, we cry out, Lord, where is your justice? And what we're going to see in this next little section is that justice comes, but where God's ways are not our ways is that it's a delayed justice. It's a delayed justice. It's a delayed presence of the Lord in the middle of it. It's like, Lord, where were you? Like Mary and Martha, if you'd only been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Yeah, but you don't understand. My ways are not your ways. I'm working something out here. I needed Lazarus to die because I'm going to reveal something bigger than all of this in your understanding. God's ways are not our ways, and his justice in this case is delayed. I don't understand you, but he's saying to us, I know you don't understand all that I'm doing, but do you know who I am? I'm a God of justice. You need to know that about me. It will come. It may not be in the timing or the way you want, but God will bring his justice, and he does. Many people who have read this this passage who come from societies where they're just oppressed all the time and there's injustice taking place all the time and nobody cares, they read this passage and they go, oh my goodness, this is a God who cares. This is a God who actually recognizes that there is injustice. This is a God who comes in and he judges this. And he deals with the injustice. He sees and he knows and he calls out evil. And he steps in. And so he uses Elijah to confront Ahab in the vineyard. And he says, you have sold yourself to do evil. You have murdered this man. You have taken his property. 
And because of that evil and injustice, I am going to wipe you out and your sons and your inheritance. It's all going to be taken away. I am going to deal with you for the shedding of innocent blood. God steps in with his justice, which we cry for. He's still dead, isn't he? That's what we wrestle with. Yeah, but Naboth is dead. I know. And I know you don't understand that. And quite honestly, we never will. How God chooses to keep some alive, how God allows some to die, perish, we'll never get that. But do we know the character of God? That he is good and that he is just and that he is right? That he steps in and he deals with this. And as God is a God of justice, and please, let's not let that word be hijacked by the world where they're just destroying the word justice. Because God is about justice. You cannot get away from that in the scriptures. He is a God who steps in for those who are, are, have no voice, those who are put down by power. God steps into these things. And here's the truth about us as followers of Jesus Christ. It is I who no longer live, but Christ who is living through me. And so what he does through us, because he's a God of justice, because Naboth had no voice, sometimes he'll call us to be a voice for those who don't have one. He'll call us into a place where we're caring for the widow and the orphan who are suffering oppression and and lack and they're really struggling. God wants us to, to, to know, wants people to know that he sees. And a lot of times he'll use you and me to reveal he sees what's going on. And he's coming alongside with his justice and his care and his love and his grace. And he steps in. And so let's just respond to the Holy Spirit as he moves you into being the hands and feet of justice. And God just does that work in you, and I trust that for what he's doing in you. So God moves in, and again, in ways, delayed justice, that doesn't make sense to us. This last section in this, in this passage is the one that, that just blows me away as far as not understanding God's ways and what he's doing. Here's what happens, ready? Verse 27, Ahab hears these words of judgment and justice coming in. He tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and he went around meekly. Now this is just where I just go nuts. Then the the word of the Lord came to Elijah and he says this, Hey Elijah, have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? This is God talking. And because he has humbled himself, I will not bring disaster in his day. I will bring it in his house on the day of his son. You read this and you go, did Ahab become a follower of God? Did Ahab all of a sudden surrender his life and humble his heart before the Lord? He's of the core evil. We've seen it all throughout these scriptures. Lord, what is going on? This isn't fair that you're saying that he has humbled himself. And look at it, Elijah. Isn't it wonderful? 
And I go, no, that's not wonderful at all. God's ways are not our ways. His grace and his mercy is irrational to us. That God keeps pursuing Ahab's heart. You know what's so amazing for us? We're so, we're so judgmental. Or we think we've got the right answers. Hey, we're totally fine. We're totally fine with David, David sleeping with Bathsheba and killing her husband. We seem to be okay with that. We're totally fine with Paul killing a bunch of Christians. We seem to be fine with that. We're fine with Peter totally denying Christ and rejecting him. That seems to be okay. We're totally fine with our sin. But not Ahab. He doesn't deserve to be in heaven. And God's going, my ways are not your ways. You know what we see in this? That truth of God's grace and mercy are irrational. And we see this other powerful truth in God's response. A humble heart, a humble heart awakens the holy. It awakens the holy. Look, 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 Elijah. He's humbled his heart. We in our humanness say, no, not fair. God's saying, my grace and my mercy are still being poured out upon even Ahab and his evil. It seems like for the moment there was a genuine humility there. But here's the thing. We don't know what happened with Ahab. But God does. Why? Because he looks into his heart. That's all he sees. And we can trust that. We can trust that God is just. If Ahab indeed turned his heart and humbled his heart into God and said, I surrender my life unto you, then guess what? He's in heaven today. But if he continued where he rejected God and he continued to live in evil and said, to heck with you, God, guess what? He will face a righteous judgment before the Lord like all of us will. And here's what the scriptures say. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Each person was judged according to what they had done. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Our God is a holy God. Our God will deal justly and rightly with our heart. And either we've said yes to the Lord or we've said to heck with you, God, and he judges that, each and every one of us. But you cannot miss this irrational grace that God pours out. The mercy cannot be explained. The grace cannot be explained but it can be received. God's ways are not our ways. But do you trust him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you are a trustworthy God. And Father, we together acknowledge that we don't get it. We don't understand your ways. We don't understand all that you're doing. And Father, so please... Please help us in our, in our wrestle. 
And Father, help us to be content in what you're doing. And help us, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit to trust you more and more and more. You are a good God. And we give you praise and glory. In your precious name, amen. Well, listen, we get the joy of having communion together this morning. And this is one of those times where I say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that your ways are not our ways. Thank you, God, because this plan of salvation, I would have never figured out that, like, here's the plan of salvation. I'm going to send my son to die on the cross for your sins. That makes no sense. That just seems ridiculous. Why would you do that to your son? Praise God, his ways are not our ways. That the truth is, Jesus was the only sacrifice acceptable to holy God. He had to send his son to die on the cross for our sin. He's the only payment so that we can have relationship with the living God as we believe in his son, Jesus. That our book can be written in the name, that our, our name can be written in the book of life. It's the only thing that would work. And so God sent his son out of his amazing love. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Jesus went with his disciples into the upper room. And while they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when they had given thanks, Jesus broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples. And he said this, take and eat. This is my body. Christ's body broken for you and me. And then Jesus took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he said to them, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. This is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now until the day when I will drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Christ's blood shed for you and me. Well, what a powerful message depicting God's limitless grace that he lavishes on us. And, and I was thinking as I was listening just that if there's anybody in this room or anyone listening online and you have not yet received that free gift of grace, that invitation is here for you today that, that we can, and it's as simple as praying a prayer right where you're at, wherever you have chosen to gather this morning, whether it's here online, wherever you are, you can pray that prayer before the Lord that just says, acknowledges I'm a sinner and I can do nothing to bridge the gap between my sin and God's holiness. And yet through that work on the cross, the gift of his son, we can we can receive that gift. We can tell the Lord today, wherever we are, 
I'm a sinner. I receive your free gift of grace. And when you do that, you're, then you're brought into this inheritance that will never spoil, never fade. You're given life in him, given a hope of heaven. So if that's where you are today, I just encourage you to just take that opportunity to receive God's grace. And if you are here in this room and you have chosen to do that, please come find one of us. We would love to talk with you and pray with you. And so let's stand together as we close and celebrate this great work that Christ has done for us on the cross.